All right, sit down, be quiet. It's my turn. It's good to see everybody. Happy New Year. Have you all had a good week? I hope you have. I hope you had a good week. We've had a good week. Uh, finally, yesterday, we got the weather you all promised me, so I appreciate that. 60 degrees in January, so uh, we'll see if it lasts. We'll see if it lasts. No, but it's been good. Hey, um, so it's the new year. How many of y'all have made New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand nice and high. How many of you have made New Year's resolutions, but you don't want to admit it because you think it's cheesy? You don't want anybody to know. That's right. It's funny. New year, new season, 2020, new decade. We were in our, our staff meeting on Monday. Every Monday, all of our staff, we gather and we, have, we sing together and uh, we kind of think about the weekend and we celebrate the things that God has done over the last week through us, through our church, through the ministries. Uh, we talk about how we can get things better and improve and uh, all kinds of good stuff. But one of the things we were talking about in kind of our devotion was just that this was this new opportunity for us. And what does the next 10 years look like in your life? right? And I started thinking about that in my own life. Like, it's a frightening decade coming up for me. Like, I have the potential for the next 10 years to have, like, two college graduations, two weddings, grandchildren. Like, that's what the potential for the next decade is in my life. So, I'm going to need a raise. That's... That's what I told Jim yesterday as we were watching the game. So you're the treasury. I've only been here three months. Who knows how I'm going to do, but no, no, no. So it's kind of fun. I would encourage you, like, just to pause. And it is an interesting moment in, like, our lives when you kind of have this fresh decade to go, okay, like, what are the typical things that happen in this season of a person's life, right? And uh, the reality is we're all in these different modes. So some of you, it's the next 10 years is your wedding. The next 10 years is you might be having children. The truth of it is for some of us, the next 10 years, you're looking going, this might be my last decade. This might be the, the, the decade that I have to leave a legacy. It's very interesting to, to take that moment and pause and say, what is God gonna do? And to, and to go into that decade realizing that the same God who's with us the last decade, the decade before that is walking with us. And so it's a good opportunity to do that. That has nothing to do with the message today. It's just filler. I don't have much to say, so I was like, I got to make this thing last 35 minutes. I'm going to do it. I'm only kidding. Uh, how many of you have uh, ever had an experience with something new and you've thought, this is the dumbest thing ever? Right? And then, wait, wait, wait. And then about like six months later, you're like, how did I ever live without this? Right, have you ever had that? Like you were pretty vocal about how stupid it was too, right? And then like somebody brings it up to you like, oh, I thought that was the dumbest thing ever, you know? For me, you know what that was? I'm old enough to remember this, text messaging, right? Do y'all remember when text messaging started? Like I know some of you are too young and like you've just grown up in a world of texting, right? But I remember when, when instant messaging, SMS, text, the whole texting thing started. And I, I remember saying out loud to many people, that's the dumbest thing ever. Like, why would you ever do this when you could just push a button one time and talk to people, you know? Especially because at the same time, there was that like chirp talk thing from Nextel, you know, do you remember that? I, I never could afford that. That was way too expensive a cell phone plan for me. But like, I would all see people like, and it was a walkie-talkie, right? It was like this brand new technology called walkie-talkies that you carried around, right? But I can remember like the whole texting thing. And like, I remember getting text messages, like, this is so stupid, a, a, a. You know, you had to hit the same button like three times, you know? Did you know this last year, on average, every day, 23 billion text messages are sent? 
23 billion. In perspective, that means in the last minute as I was railing about text messaging, about one million texts were sent in the world. I think it's, it's sticking around. You know, I think I was wrong. I was wrong on that one, right? Now it's hard to imagine, like, I have to talk to you? Like, just text me, you know? Right? Like the fact, and the whole, like it's, tight, it's taking off, marketing is taking off the, with instant messaging. Like this is a real thing, you know, so I'm going to start doing it. I will in one of these days, you know. It's so wrong. But some of us, like some of us, when the texting thing came out, you were like all over it. You were like, hey, 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 D, D, D. You know, you had to hit the, the 664, 333, you know, and all that, like numbers. You, were, you loved it. You were like on the front. And you're the type of person who, like some of us in there, we love new and improved, Right? We don't just love new, but it's got to be improved. It's why Apple comes out not with the iPhone again, right? It comes out with the iPhone 11 or 12 or 27 or whatever it is. Or however Androids work, they come out with a phone they think is going to work. And, you know, I don't know how it works. But, right? But there are some of us in the room that we just love the idea of new and improved. We love the idea of how our life can become easier. We love the idea of how our life can become smoother. Uh, we, we, whatever it might be, it could be a hobby. Something new comes out. And you're like first in there, right? You're on that scale of innovation. You're the early adopter, right? And then there's some of us that we love what is comfortable and familiar. Who, how many of you in the room are like that? Like comfortable and familiar. Like you, you still have the blanket from when you were a kid. You just walk around with that, right? We love that feeling of comfortable and familiar. And the truth of it is, most of us, um, we don't know that we love it too. Like some of us would say, oh, I'm like super innovative. I'm on the cutting edge. Like, you know, I wear the latest shoes, right? Whatever it might be. But when you were to, if you were to rip out everything that is comfortable and familiar, it really is disjunctive in your life, right? I mean, I know that for a fact now. <laughs> I didn't know that three months ago, but I know it now. Like, I was like, I love new and improved. I'm like, I miss all my friends, you know, like, <laughs> It, it's crazy how it can do this, right? And, and while comfort, by comfortability and familiar is wonderful, it's dangerous. It really is dangerous in our lives because the comfortable and the familiar tend to bring in another year and not a new year, right? The truth of it is most of us should be going around on January, or on January 1st saying, happy another year, happy another year, because you're not gonna change. You're not gonna do anything different. There's nothing new about this year. The calendar rolled over. It's another January 1. It's going to be another January 7th. Because we really don't like new, if we're honest, because new is, right, it, it moves us. It changes us. It, it transforms us. And I started to think about that as we're, as we're coming in, like, first Sunday of the, the new year. Like, is God a God of newness, right? Does love, if God is love, is love new, does love create, does love work, does love act, does love change, or does love maintain, right? Is God to maintain? Like how many of you are married? Raise your hand if you're nice eye, you're married, right? Don't look so excited about that. <laughs> I wish you could have seen your faces. Like... <laughs> oh gosh, I'm glad you didn't see each other's faces. That would be a very long car ride home, right? How many of you want your spouses to just maintain their love? Just maintain my love. There's not many love songs out there like, you're such a good maintainer, <laughs> right? But it's funny how we as human beings tend to like live in the maintain mode. But as I like do a quick survey of some of the really fascinating stories in scripture, like these tall tales that we hear that it takes faith to hold on to, to believe that God actually did this stuff, right? 
I find that there's no way that you could ever make an argument that the God of the universe, the one behind the creativity in this room, the one behind the creativity in the world is a maintainer of things. I mean, if we go back to Abraham, right, the, the founder of really every major religion, the three desert religions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, all stem from Abraham. And we look at Abraham and the beginning of it all, it was a call into something new. Abraham's call came in Genesis chapter 12. We see Abraham is living with his family, doing what every nomadic kind of Arab person would do, uh, live in this kind of broader family system and structure. This is a time period where there is no religion of Judaism, right? The God that we kind of see uh, in scripture really is not known very well. Uh, and, And we find Abraham there and God shows up one day. Right, This kind of foreign God, this God that is, is, is not one that Abraham's family is necessarily worshiping. They were probably worshiping a, a, a Sumerian God. The moon God is probably where they were given where they lived in uh, an ancient land called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is uh, in modern day, probably Iraq, southern Iraq. Uh, but you see God like showing up and wanting to do something new and the Lord shows up to Abram. We have no idea if Abram has any understanding. It's been about 400 years since Noah gave birth to Shem, right? According to the chronology. And there's like 400 years of like, okay, so there's a flood. That's it, right? I mean, I forget things in the matter of four hours. 400 years feels like it's highly likely there hasn't been much activity in this worship of this God, that nothing that was recorded in the Genesis history. And all of a sudden, one day, Abram, this, this God shows up to Abram and says, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's household, go to the land that I'll give you. <laughs> yeah, right. He says, get up, go. He says, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Remember what I said earlier about all the three major religions of the world come from Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Every one of them, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, they all stem back to Abraham. All the people of the earth are being blessed. It says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families, right? Everybody. And so we see here, like it's a very early phase. This is before there was Judaism in terms of a religion, before there was any like temple, before there was any sacrifice. God is beginning this call, right? The story of it all, this universal blessing, this universal grace for all humanity. And it begins with a call to Abraham to leave his comfort zone. Right, this new thing that God, God doesn't want to maintain. Like the, the interesting thing about the call to Abraham, which you wouldn't necessarily catch if you read the scripture in just like in the order that it's found, because in Genesis chapter 11, it says that Terah, his father, died. And then Genesis chapter 12, verse one says that, then the Lord says to, Mo, to, to Abram, excuse me, I'm gonna talk about Moses in a second. It says to Abram, get up, go. So the text wants you to think that when God calls Abram to leave, that his father, Terah, is dead. But when you really read the chronologies, his father isn't dead. His father's well alive. And this would have been so foreign for a son to leave his father in this culture. You would never do that. I mean, what God is asking of Abraham is unheard of. Go out on your own, leave. And so that's what Abraham does. And the beginning of it all, it's like, you gotta get out of your comfort zone. God's gonna do something new. Think about Moses. See, I gave you a little hint earlier, right? If you're familiar with Moses, or maybe you've seen the movie at least, right? Moses has this encounter with the burning bush, right? 
this call that God wants to do something new. Moses is out in exile. He's a murderer. He had killed a, a, basically an Egyptian soldier, had to flee for his life. Doesn't really fit in. He's not really a, a, an Israelite. He's not really, and again, this is Israelite in terms of ethnicity, Jewish ethnicity. There wasn't really a religion at that point in time. So he doesn't, he's not really ethnically Jewish because he grew up in the Egyptian palace and he didn't suffer as the way that the Israelites did. He's not really an Egyptian. So he's, he's forced out in the desert. He marries a Midianite woman. So like, what is he? Where does he fit in? He's kind of an outcast. It says that one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. I mean, this guy's not even a Christian. That was a joke. <laughs> so not a lot of church people in the room today. That's awesome. I'm really happy about that. <laughs> Some of you are like, I thought we weren't Christians, Ryan. We've been listening, right? So he's not even, he, like, this guy's like worshiping some other God. Actually, a Midianite, the Midianites were responsible for the Jews. The first Jewish person sold into slavery was Joseph, and he was sold into slavery by Midianite and Ishmaelite traders. So think about this. I mean, Moses now, his family, he's linked to the people that are the reason why his people are in slavery, I mean, it's a very interesting space to be in. It's completely like the, not the person you think, yeah, this is the guy to do it. This is the guy to lead everybody. Absolutely not. So he's out there in the desert and he goes way out into the wilderness and he comes to Mount Sinai, right? Which would become the mountain of God. It wasn't at the time, but would become this iconic place. It says there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Y'all ever stared at fire? <laughs> Why do we do that? It's just mesmerizing, but it's not burning anything up, right? So he's staring at this fire, and he says, this is amazing. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Every guy in the history of Guidem, this is what you do when there's a fire. What is going on over there? I need to check this out. I mean, a blazing building. What's happening, right? That's just what we do. I have no idea why. It's like we're attracted to fire. So Moses goes over and the flames burning, right? And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called out to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, I love, it says, here I am, he replied. If you skip down to verse nine, it says, look, the, Jesus, God says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? See, what's fascinating is God's call to do something new with Moses began with something that Moses thought was so far beyond his abilities. He says, I'm not the right guy for this. If you're familiar with the story, if you're not familiar with the story, it goes on that Moses kind of argues with God, which is fine. You know, God's okay with that. But God shows him, I'm gonna be with you. And, but isn't it amazing? It's not like Moses was like, yes. It's me, I'm in, I'm the guy. I get to go back to the people that want to kill me, yay. He's like, uh, nope, not me. I'm not a good talker. I stutter. And he did, he had a speech about it. And God says, all right, I'm gonna deal with it. And he works this whole thing out. But this new thing that God wants to do, it starts with Moses having to deal with the reality that I'm not qualified for this. This is outside my purview. I don't have the resume for this. If you think again about other moments where God surprises us, look at the character of Ruth, the book of Ruth in scripture. 
Ruth is this amazing story of a woman who marries into a Jewish family and then they all die. So Ruth chapter one, we hear the story of Naomi who leaves with her husband, Elimelech, and they have to leave the land that their, their homeland, Israel, it's not really Israel, but they have to leave this, this area because of a great famine. And so they leave and they come into this land and what happens? She's a Midianite woman. They get married. The two sons of Elimelech marry these two women. One is Naomi and one is Orpah. And then all of a sudden, Elimelech dies, the father, and then the two sons die. And now you have three women, all widowed, the most vulnerable place you could be in in this time in human history, headed towards prostitution probably, headed towards forced servanthood, slavery. And Naomi says, listen, I gotta go back to my homeland. I don't know what else to do. And so she's leaving and she's trying to get these two daughters-in-laws to go away because she's saying, what am I supposed to do? I can't help you out. Because there was this law that said, if if your husband dies, the brother was supposed to take you and marry you and make sure that that lineage continued on as it was part of every culture in antiquity. And, and Naomi says, what am I supposed to do at my age? Am I supposed to give birth to two more sons? Are you gonna wait, you know, however many years until they're marriageable? Like, you need to go back to your own lands. And Orpah actually does. She leaves. She doesn't abandon Naomi. She just says, you're right. Like, what am I gonna do, right? I'm just gonna, I'm dead with This is gonna be a problem. But Ruth, this new thing that God is doing and the, the whole point of this story is so powerful. Ruth replies to Naomi and says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. We get to one of those beautiful passages in all of human history, in my opinion. Don't ask, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi heard this, and when she saw that Ruth was resolute, that she was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. This new thing that God was doing with Ruth, the whole point of the story of Ruth is to help us understand a lineage to King David. Ruth was the grandmother of King David, who was the great, 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 God says, I'm gonna do something new. And the line of King David starts in the midst of excruciating grief and pain. If that isn't enough for you, think of Esther. Esther, who wins the greatest beauty pageant in the history of beauty pageants, right? I mean, it's this funny story where the king at the time of Persia doesn't like his wife Vashti because she won't come out wearing the crown at a party and be shown off. And she like defies her husband. And so they all freak out and they expel her. And then they put on a big beauty pageant to find a new queen. And Esther becomes queen and Esther is Jewish. And the people are in exile at this time and they're a minority as the Jewish people always have been. But a plot bubbles up. And all of a sudden, Esther's people, the Jewish people, are in for it. And there is a plot of genocide to kill all the Jewish people. And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, finds out about this and sends word to Esther in the palace. And Esther freaks out. Esther's like, you're nuts. I can't do anything about it. Because Mordecai's saying, you gotta go talk to the king. You gotta go get this taken care of. And Esther says, listen, here's the deal. He hasn't called for me in a very long time. 
And if I try to go in and see the king and he doesn't want to see me, he'll kill me. That's how this works. So I'm not, I don't know what you want me to do about it. And Mordecai, her uncle, doesn't like this. Doesn't, does not like how Esther's acting, that maybe Esther's forgotten her place and what God is doing in her life. And so Mordecai sends word, right? And Esther says this, Mordecai says this in the book of Esther, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at this time, deliverance and relief for the Jews will come from someplace else, but you and your relatives will die. Remember, like, Mordecai's a relative of Esther, right? He's like, we're gonna die. And who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. And so Esther sends this reply back to her uncle Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa. This was the capital of Persia at the time. Go and gather all the Jews of Susa. Gather them together. Don't eat or drink for three days or night. My maids and I will do the same. And even though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Isn't it fascinating? God calls Esther to do something new and to be a part of something that's new and different in the greatest moment of what she is the most afraid of, losing everything. See, Esther was an orphan. She had risen to this great place of prominence. She had everything. She was gonna lose it all. All the comfort, all the riches, all the wealth. But what God wanted to do is not maintain that status. God wanted to do something new wanted her to become inspiring to all of us. And as I do this quick survey and as I think about our lives and as I think about this God who's not a maintainer, it seems to me that God loves to partner with people who embrace the new and not just another. It seems to me that when people as individuals like ourselves decide, I'm into doing what God wants to do and I'm into being a part of the new, which means change and transition and difficulty, that he partners and does something great, that when, when local churches like ours decide that we will be a part of new and not just another, God surprises us. God surprises us. See, the reality is, as a church, we're walking into a new year, and some of you think, oh, it's a new year, and there's a new pastor. Everything's gonna be different. <laughs> I mean, I hate to break the news, but the calendar was set before I got here. I mean, there's gonna be some new things, you know. But the question is not, is the new pastor gonna bring new things? Of course, I mean, of course, to a certain degree. But are we willing as a community to do the new? And some of that means doing the same, but different. So in, during the second service, there's a team of people that are gonna be meeting to talk about Project One. I've never participated in Project One. It's gonna be new for me. I mean, I've done things like Project One, but call Project One here. Here's what I think, though, if you want me to be real honest with you, because I haven't been up until this point. <laughs> I think some of you are like, oh, Project One, yeah, nice. I've done that before. I think Project One probably had all kinds of energy 12 years ago or whenever it first started. And it just energized and it flowed through the place. It was like, we get to go out and serve our community and really make a difference in individuals' lives. It's awesome. And it was probably the most well-attended those first couple years. And now I'm guessing it's probably not worth rearranging your calendar for. If it works out, it works out. And that's not meant to be anything like, I'm not trying to be down on you. That's just the way things work, right? It's a new year, but if we're just gonna go through the motions of the same thing, right? 
But we have to be willing to say, oh, this is time for me to do something new. So in your everyday normal life, right, what does that mean? Ask yourself the question, am I really embracing the new or am I just embracing another? Whether it's as a part of Crossroads Church and what we do together as a gathered church, whether it's what you do as a part of the scattered church that goes out and brings hope into your world, into your neighborhood, you and I really have to ask this question, am I really doing something new or am I just doing another? Is this just another year? Is it another day? Is it another Sunday? So here's some questions you can ask to be sure. Am I doing something new or just another? Is this thing that you're going to do, is this year, is it going to make you uncomfortable? Because if it's gonna make you uncomfortable, you can probably guarantee that it's not just another, but it's new, right? I mean, leaving your comfort zone is not easy. Leaving everything behind like Abraham did, that's uncomfortable, that's new, that's not another. I'm kind of living in that one. And I can tell you it's not fun all the time. But I want to be surprised by God. The other question we ought to ask ourselves to say, am I really embracing a new year? Is that, is what you're walking into, are you unqualified to do? Are you really unqualified to do it? There's something about Moses in that story that I just love. Because there were some things about Moses that qualified him that made him the best candidate to do it. He was familiar with the Egyptian palace. He was familiar with the way it worked. It made him like so qualified for it. But there was so much about his life that made him completely unqualified for this job. Bad temper. They wanted to kill him. The people of Israel didn't respect him. He had no self-confidence. But God surprises So I think those are two wonderful questions for us to ask as a church, together, as we gather. Where in this space could you step into something new? I think our kids are worth it. Emphasis provides an opportunity for a lot of us to embrace this idea of new. Because you've heard it, like you heard, oh, it's just another like kids ministry push. But you're busy, I know but is it gonna be just another or is it gonna be new? Is this gonna be another year of us doing our best to strengthen families? Or is it gonna be a new year with new ideas from new people engaged in really good work, caring for kids and families? But it's uncomfortable and you're probably unqualified. Have you met kids these days? They're disasters. Some of you are thinking to yourself, I would love to do that, but I'm in a season of great pain in my life. But here's what we know from Ruth. God's not afraid of your pain. Your pain is not a problem for God. In fact, those moments of pain and sorrow and hurt are oftentimes the moments where God wants to surprise us. They're the moments where God wants to say, it's now that you need to know that I'm with you and using you for your greatness for the sake of others. It's in this pain that I'm teaching you. And so to wait until the pain subsides is to miss out on an opportunity to allow that pain to shape us and mold us. God's not afraid of your pain. Your pain is not a problem for God to do something new. And remember that if you step out 
into what is uncomfortable. Remember that if you step out into those types of situations that, that cause you to think, I'm not qualified. Remember if you're willing to live into the pain and do as Ruth did and say, no, I'm not gonna let the pain stop me from doing something. You will be afraid. But that is a perfectly normal response when you're partnering with the God of the universe. It's perfectly normal. I don't know how it wouldn't be. But that doesn't mean it has to stop us. As individuals and as a church, that if God wants to do something and we wanna partner with God, we're gonna have to dream and we're gonna have to walk into the spaces that cause us to go, wow, I've gotta do new. I can't just do another. I really actually want to be surprised by God and I wanna partner with God. And so I'm gonna jump in I'm gonna find my way into these this kids are worth it. I'm gonna find my way into this new that God has for me this moment of my life. And I wanna live in that cycle. And you know what's so powerful about this? When we actually make a decision to, to lean into what's uncomfortable, when we make a decision to lean into doing what we're unqualified to do, when we do it in spite of our pain, when we do it in spite of our fear, you know what's gonna happen? You as an individual, we as a church community, are gonna be an inspiring story for somebody else. That's what's so powerful about this. Abraham, Moses, Ruth, Esther, these are all normal, everyday people. But their stories became inspiring because they were willing to do the new and not another. Your life can become an inspiring story. Your everyday, normal life. You don't have to go out and, and build a school, start a nonprofit, you don't have to go out and, and do these great, enormous things. You just have to be willing to say, I want to do it new. I want to stop trying in the same way. And you get to be this inspiration for somebody else who feels stuck in another. Here's what I know. I just, I can't, I will not lie to you. It's not easy. And there are things that you're not going to realize about the new until you get in it. And you're gonna realize, I gotta lean into this God that's partnering with me or else I'm not gonna make it. That's the truth of it. But I really do believe this. I believe we see a pattern that it's when we are willing to become a part of the new and not the other, not another, that God will surprise us, that we can become an inspiration to others. So as we kind of wrap up here, we're gonna receive the offering in a moment. Hopefully you're gonna give a little bit extra every week between now and Easter. To the kids are worth it, fun, and hopefully you're gonna think about how you can participate. But here's the big question. Before we do all that, like what is God inviting you into given this kind of reality of the new year? Is it gonna be a new or another? And I wanna give you three areas to just consider. Three areas, number one, I want you to consider doing something new this year in your personal life. What could that be in your personal life? Whether it's a hobby, your family. What is that? What is that new thing that, that's uncomfortable? What is an area that you might feel a whisper of God saying, I'd love to partner with you in this? Maybe it's how you handle your relationship with your spouse or your kids or, or a child that has kind of gone off and you feel disconnected with or... Maybe it's a, uh, an estranged parent or a friend 
What is that new thing? Second area is, what about your professional life? Is there something new that you could do this year in your professional life? To just consider that. Whatever your professional life is, you say, well, I don't have a professional life. I'm a stay-at-home parent. That's a profession. I hate to break the news to you. It's just highly underpaid. How could you do that? What does that look like? And then I want to encourage you as a person who's following Jesus, if you're following Jesus in here, to ask yourself, could I do something new in my spiritual life, in my kingdom building, in the way that I think? Selfishly, I would hope that you'd think about that in terms of our kids are worth it because we as a leadership and as a membership have felt like this is what God's calling us to lean into, to do something new in. And so I hope you would consider that area. But maybe that's not it. Maybe it's another area. I don't pretend to be the Holy Spirit whispering into your life. Something new in that area. Albert Einstein had this famous quote, right? You've seen this or heard this before, right? What does he say? He says, the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again and expecting different results. Isn't it amazing that we serve a God that doesn't want us to do things over and over again? He wants us to do some things this way and then let's change. Let's move forward. And let's not disparage the way you did it before, disparage what happened, but let's just recognize that it was for that season, that time, and now God's calling you to start texting instead of calling. And we might be surprised how long it lasts. So we're gonna sing this song. I, you can sit and just consider what God wants to do new in maybe these three areas of your life and then I'll come and pray over us and we'll get you out of here in just a couple minutes.